In our last year uh, in Namibia, I was working away uh, in my office and uh, a man was brought into uh, the front office, to the front counter uh, of the Bible College uh, on a Monday afternoon and the ladies from the front office came to get me and said, will you please come out and talk to this guy? Uh, I was very busy, had lots of things to do, there was lots of things I was worried about, lots of things I wanted to achieve and I was uh, particularly uh, preparing uh, to do a series of Bible talks uh, and I said to them, look, I'm sorry, I'm too busy to meet with him just now. Uh, can you find someone else to look after that? Uh, as things turned out, they couldn't find anyone else to look after that, so out I went to meet with this man. Uh, his name was Erastus. Uh, he was a father of two teenagers and one primary school child. And he was found in the bush just beside the Bible college with a length of fencing wire looking for a tree to hang himself from. I'd literally just said to the office ladies, I'm too busy to talk with anyone right now. But what had driven him to this point? To this point of desperation where as a father of three young kids, he felt that there's nothing else I could do. No other way out than to take his life. Ashamed that he couldn't find a job. Ashamed that he couldn't support his family. Desperate and distressed. Now, just so that you're not distracted all morning by the story, Erastus did not kill himself that day. And the last time we spoke, in fact, he and his family are living on the border of Angola, at the Kavango River, is a beautiful part of the world, with his extended family on a plot of land where he can grow vegetables and, uh, and they're all doing well. But just in case you think, wow, that could only happen in Africa, according to the World Health Organization, the suicides rate rates for Namibia and Australia are identical. So you are just as likely to meet a desperate neighbour, friend here in Australia as I was there. How will we respond in our busyness? Let's pray, shall we? Uh, Father, we do thank you that in your mercy, Erastus did not take his life that day. And we do pray for the thousands in Namibia and in Australia who this very day are desperate and vulnerable. Widows, orphans, the unemployed, the addicted, the lonely, the anxious neighbours of ours. And Father, we pray as we open your word now, we would be both hearers and doers of it. We pray for ourselves that we might be radically transformed to love as you love. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 1, starting at verse 19. James chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, 
Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that our God, uh, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I heard a story once of a, a young man who was in a big church and uh, uh, as he was in the big church, the preacher stood up and the, the young guy let out an audible groan. And the lady next to him said, what's the matter? And he said, oh, this preacher... This preacher's so boring, I may very well die just sitting here listening to him this morning. And the lady said, uh, do you know who I am? And the young man said, no. He said, that man's my husband. And the young man said, well, do you know who I am? And the lady said, no. He said, well, thank God for that. <laughs> I wonder if you have ever been caught saying something that you wished you could take back. Have you ever been a little too quick to speak? A little too careless with your words? Of course you have. We all have. That's, that's of our very nature, isn't it? That's the problem. We, we so often don't think before we speak or more commonly we don't listen before we speak. God has designed us with two ears and one mouth, but we use them in the reverse proportions all the time. And James chapter 1 has some practical and timely wisdom for all of us, doesn't it? My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I think if you and I took that verse to heart and transformed the way that we listened and spoke the world would be a better place. Our marriages would be better. Our work relationships would be better. Our close friendships would be better. Our schools would be better. Our workplace, our businesses would be, our churches would be better. And it's true and it works and it applies to every relationship and all contact that we have with other people. But that's not all. And in fact, in James, that might not even be primarily what he is driving at here. I mean, have a look at the context and see where this verse comes up and we see James is really worried about... We'll see from verse 16, "'Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift uh, is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows.'" He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. 
Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word that is planted in you, which can save you. So I think what James says is absolutely true and applicable to human relationships, but above and beyond that, he's urging us to listen to the word, to God's word, the word of truth in verse 18 that gives us new birth. The word in verse 21 that is planted in us which can save us. In fact, this section is, is all about God's word and how it must transform us. And I want to work with you through four things that James tells us here about the word that should transform our lives. And just in case you're tempted to think, oh, and yeah, no, I've got all that under control, James is writing this to Christian people. And he's expecting that it will rattle their cages. And as someone who's been teaching the Bible for 25 years, I want to say as I was preparing to talk about this chapter, it's rattled my cage again. How is it that we are to listen to the word? Four things James wants to implore us to do here are one, listen to the word. Two, to humbly accept the word. Three, to do what the word says. And four, to have your hearing tested. Um, first, though, listen to the word. Uh, not just listen, but be quick to listen, eager to listen to it. And I wonder if that marks you out. Are you eager to listen to the word? Is that, is that your first waking thought? Do you find it easy to, to listen to the word first thing in the morning? Or at night when, you, when you're reading the Bible, do you, is it easy for you? Are you quick to do it? Or does sleep come? Do distractions come? Do you find it hard to make time for Bible study? Are there always other things that are coming up? Other things that press in around your habit of listening to the Word of God? Friends, this is much more than a physical battle, isn't it? This is a spiritual battle. The evil one would like nothing more than to stop you from listening to the word of God. This is spiritual warfare. Because God's word recreates and saves us. It is living and active. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a source of life and light. And if you're having trouble finding time or the discipline to listen to that word, that is a spiritual battle. So pray that the Holy Spirit would move you, that you would be quick to listen to the word. Quick to listen. Notice he's slow to speak and slow to become angry. And we know that that's true with other people, isn't it? That if, if, we, if we're speaking, we can't listen. We don't listen while we're talking. We're just thinking about what we're going to say. And that's true in human relationships. And it's true of our relationship with God as well. Now, I've never met anybody who I want to say, please speak less to God, pray less. That's not what I'm saying. But it's interesting 
How many people tell me that they, they expect to hear God speak to them while they're praying? Uh, they pray with no connection to the Word of God. Uh, or they read the Word of God and then park that and go and pray about something else. And what they're hearing has no connection with what they're saying and yet they expect God to speak to them as they're speaking to him. It's an interesting habit that many of us kind of slip into, expecting that God will reveal his will while we're expressing ours. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. I think it's it's interesting those two things are held together because I can guarantee you when I become angry, the last thing I'm doing is listening. Is that you? When you become angry, you're just ready to hear what the other person's got to say? Of course not. See, our human anger is a blockage. It's a blockage to hearing anybody else and it's a blockage to hearing the word of God as well. When I'm angry either with God or with someone else in that state of mind I do not listen to his word even if my eyes are going over the page at the right pace I have to deal with my anger with my need for revenge or justification or whatever it is before I hear God's word which brings about new birth, salvation, a righteous life. Things that our anger will never bring about. So there's a posture of being ready to listen to the word of God. Firstly, we listen to the word of God. And as we move on to verse 21, we see the second thing is that we need to accept this word we've heard. Uh, this verse actually throws up a contrast between the things we're to put off to get rid of and the things we're to accept or embrace, verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do you notice about the word that it is planted in you? I think it's a reference back to the, uh, the new covenant, the Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31 um, promise of the law that's going to be written on our hearts, that uh, God will put not just his law, but his spirit within us, Ezekiel 36. Um, now, that's not different to the written word, but it's something that God is doing with his law, is doing with his word, that he implants it within us and therefore transforms us. This is a word which can save you, he says. And again, he's not saying that the word saves you and Jesus doesn't or something like that. But our access to Jesus is actually through the word, isn't it? And the spirit works through the word to give us access to Jesus. It's the word that saves us. It's the word that saves us. The implanted word by the spirit of God saves us. And we are to accept this word. Accept this word, but notice how? It's not just accept, it's accept, humbly accept the word. Humbly accept the word. 
And I think you'll be able to see the links with what James uh, has already said that we were talking about last week. Part of having a, a humble attitude too is being quick to listen and slow to speak, to expect that the other person, to expect that what God has to say is more important than what I have to say. To accept the word humbly. Because you can read the Bible with lots of different attitudes, can't you? And you can approach Bible study with lots of different attitudes. You can approach the the writing of essays with lots of different attitudes. But the one who humbly accepts the word is the one who is eager to listen to the word Not the one who hears something that I don't really like and what I really need to do is to study harder and harder till I find my way around this. Have you caught yourself doing that? This must be a really difficult verse to understand because on first blush I don't like what I read. So let me work harder and harder until it sounds like something I can live with. Now you've never done that, but the people sitting either side of you have. So just be gracious to them. Often when we read the word, we think, how do I get around it? If I just look closer, will it say something that I like more? Or do we humbly accept the word of God? So we're to listen to the word, humbly accept the word, Thirdly, we are to do what the Word says. There is nothing more tragic or devastating to the work of the Gospel than when uh, one who is a leader of God's people is found out to be a hypocrite, is there? One who is found out to not do as they say, to not do as the Word they preach says. And if it's true of leaders, it's true of all of us. And James make it, makes it clear here that just hearing the word is not enough. We are to do what the word says. Do what the word says. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, friends, it'll probably come as no great surprise to you that I don't spend a lot of time in front of the mirror. It's not my favourite part of the day. But every morning... Before I leave the house, I do have a little visit in the bar and just have a quick check. It's like a pre-flight check. You do this as well? You know, check, you know, zippers up, all the hairs are down, there's no breakfast on the shirt, uh, face clean, and now we're ready to go. Now, it would be possible, I suppose, that I could uh, stand in front of the mirror, quick pre-flight check, zippers down, hairs up, breakfast all over the shirt, I go, okay, and just walk out. That'd be possible, wouldn't it? But it'd be ridiculous. It would be stupid. Just as stupid as one who hears the word and does not do what it says. 
Is that a danger for us here at college, do you think? Is it a danger that we hear so much that we don't take time to apply what we've heard? Is it a danger that we hear so much that we don't think through what the implications are for what we've heard? That we have a quick look in the mirror and just walk out as if we'd seen nothing? I think it's a real risk for us, isn't it? That so much comes, there's so much kind of looking into this word, it's wonderful. But how foolish to do that and to not do what it says, to not apply this word. If we do so, James says, we are merely listening to the word and so deceiving ourselves. Well, how would you know? How would you know? James finishes the chapter by giving us something of a hearing test. It's my fourth and final point, the hearing test, so that we can work out for ourselves whether we're actually listening to the Word of God or not. And the hearing test measures the difference between pure religion and worthless religion, and it takes three sample measurements. The first measurement uh, is the measurement of the tongue, then there's an external observable measurement, and then there's an internal measurement. The tongue measurement, verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Now, I know that's a risky metaphor to use in a place like this because, frankly, I don't expect to meet a lot of horse riders uh, here in the inner west. But trust me, uh, the rein there, uh, that's like the steering wheel and the brakes on the horse, right? The steering wheel and the brakes on the horse and that is how the word is meant to function on our tongues. James is going to say a lot more about this in chapter 3, about what we do with our tongues, but in this little foretaste, the image is that uh, the word directs our tongues, like a bridle directs, the word directs our tongues away from some kind of speech and towards other kinds of speech. And the bridle will stop us from saying some kinds of things. So the person who truly listens to the word of God will not use their tongue to gossip, he'll go on to say, to gossip, to tell lies, to make coarse jokes, to drag people down, to defame others. Instead, they will speak words marked by gratitude, by thankfulness. Their speech will be calculated to build people up in Christ. They'll speak the truth in love, Paul would say. Our tongues, the way we use our mouths, the things we say are actually a great measure of maturity in faith. What comes out of our mouth comes from the overflow of our hearts, Jesus said, and it's a great measure of where our hearts actually are. Especially the things we say in the heat of the moment. Uh, when I was working up in Musselbrook, I uh, had a, a guy became a Christian uh, he was a guy in his 40s, been a tradie all his life, uh, didn't have any Christian friends. We had a working bee, and the whole working bee, he was about this far away from me. And it was really beginning to kind of annoy me. Everywhere I went, he's standing right by, beside me. And after about an hour of this, I turned around and said, what are you doing? Why are you standing so close? 
says, I want to see what you say when you hit your thumb with the hammer. (laughs) Yes, the tongue is a very good measurement of where our hearts really are. The transformation that people undergo is total. And out of the overflow of their hearts, their mouth will speak. That's the first measurement. The second measurement is an external measurement because looking after orphans and widows in their distress is pure and faultless religion. And third, an internal measurement because keeping oneself from being polluted with the world is also pure and faultless religion. In fact, the word there for religion is about practice. Uh, We could translate it worship. It's about what you do, the right things that you do in response uh, to God, the appropriate response. It's not just about thinking or agreeing with a proposition, it's about what you do. And pure and faultless worship is to be concerned for orphans and widows, which is code for all of the needy. It's pure and faultless worship to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. If we fail to look after the needy and control our tongues and generally live in response to the word, we're just deceiving ourselves, James says. We're kidding ourselves that we have an active relationship with God. I was so busy preparing to teach from the word of God that Monday afternoon that I almost didn't go out to meet with Erastus. And I wonder, as exams are rolling on, just how busy you are with the things of God right now. How busy are you and what is that stopping you from doing? What are you excusing yourself from doing? If I ask a bunch of other rude questions, do you really know God? How would you you know if you really knew God? Do you really know his word? Are you truly mature in the Christian faith? If you want to know the answers to those questions, don't wait till you get academic transcript back. That's not going to tell you. Think about how you're going at loving the people God has put in front of you. It's all about how we respond to God's word. We must listen to it. We must humbly accept it and we must be prepared to do what it says. And we'll know whether our worship of God is genuine by looking at how we care for the needy and the vulnerable around us. And if as you think about that, you feel weak and inadequate and guilty and as if you're not up to it, good. Well done. Because now you know that you need to humbly accept the word of God. What word? The word of truth through which God chooses to give us new birth. The word which he has planted in us to change and shape and mould us from the inside out by his spirit to make us pure and blameless in his sight. Accept this word which can save you. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you speak to us through your word and that your word brings life where there was death, light where there was darkness. Father, we thank you that you have chosen to give us new birth into a living hope. And we pray that we would be transformed by this for the glory of Jesus. Amen.